Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for um, Commercial Agriculture. I am Brady Brewer, and I am an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics. And joining me today is one of my colleagues, Dr. Nate DeLay, who's also an assistant professor here in the Department of Ag Economics. And today, we're going to talk about uh, a pretty hot topic right now, which is precision agriculture and then also the broader world of what's going on with, with farm data usage. So with that, Nate, welcome. And if you want to introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Nate DeLay. Uh, I'm a, an assistant professor here in the Department of Ag Econ. Been here for about two years. Um, I did my PhD at Washington State University in, in Pullman, Washington. And originally I'm from out west and, and grew up in Colorado, spent a lot of time in, um, in the Mountain West area. So I'm kind of new, new to the Corn Belt and uh, glad to be with you. Well, and as I said, so today's topic, we're going to be talking about precision ag and farm data, which is uh, what you're charged with researching here at Purdue University. And, and really, there's a lot going on here. We Big data was a buzzword that we saw back in the early 2010s. And um, I, I think I've seen personally, just anecdotally, seen a lot of uh, focus now on, well, what are we going to do with this data and what are farmers going to do and how is it going to drive value? So do you want to kind of just start with a broad overview of what you've seen in this space in agriculture? Yeah, so um, you, you teed it up well. The, there has been a lot discussed about big data in agriculture, and um, sometimes that's at odds with what is actually being done on the farm with data. And so that's what's driven the research that I've done and that we've done in the Center for Commercial Agriculture, um, focusing on what exactly are farmers doing with this data? Are they collecting it in the first place? Um, and if they are, what sort of decisions are being driven by that data and what sort of outcomes are being, um, are they observing? Um, so generally in the, in the broad farm tech space, there's been a lot of enthusiasm. 2018 was a huge year for investment in, in ag tech startups. Um, investment grew uh, by 56% from 2017 um, to over $7 billion in, in what are called upstream startups. Those are ag tech companies that are focusing on the farm, working within the farm gate to improve efficiencies. And we've seen that decline, that trend decline a little bit in 2019, um, although there was still growth in those upstream uh, startups, though it was, it was pretty small. Overall, ag tech had a down year in 2019 um, investment in those kinds of startups fell by about 5%. So uh, a lot of things going on in 2019 related to the trade war and, and economic uncertainties could be explaining that. But generally, the trajectory is positive for uh, interest and investment in ag tech working with the farm. So, um, you know, you saw this in, in the sale of Climate Corp to Monsanto, now Bear, for about a billion dollars. That was a big deal. Um, definitely signaling some optimism among industry uh, with, with ag tech, you know, John Deere buying Blue River Tech for over $3 million, $300 million, excuse me, in 2017. So clearly we've come a long way from, you know, the, the yield monitor, which was released in the early 90s, to now we've got these huge hundreds of million dollar deals um, of ag tech startups being sold to the big guys. And uh, so there's a lot just going on in that space. We've been focusing on um, like I said before, what are, what are farmers actually doing with these products? What are, what are they doing with data? 
Well, yeah, and that's one of the big questions, right? I mean, there's been so much buzz around some of this uh, for for so many years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the classic example I know of is drones, right? Like, I I, I, I yeah. can't count how many farmers I've had make a comment like, "Oh, you know, we bought a, you know, I'm hesitant to invest in a drone because other than taking pretty pictures, I don't know how it's actually going to drive the decisions they make on the farm." Right, and, and with that, you have to think about the competing. Uh, ever increasing efficiency of satellite imagery data um, that is becoming um, higher resolution, cheaper, and more available all the time. And they're dealing with issues of cloud cover and getting accurate pictures of the farm and and AI issues and and machine learning being able to resolve some of those issues. So yeah, the drone issue was was very big. Um, it, It definitely had its heyday. And I think people are exploring some other options in addition to drones. And we just need more research we, we, to see what the you know cost comparisons are and what are the efficiency benefits associated with things like drones. So you've done a survey on this where you asked farmers their their usage uh, of, of different data platforms, different data analytics technologies. You know, think about the drones or different apps and stuff. What what were some of the key findings that you found with that survey? Yeah. So we we. Performed the survey in the fall of 2019, and um, a lot of research has been done about uh, tech adoption. So, what drives a farmer to adopt a GPS guidance system or adopt a variable rate technology? And we were more interested in kind of the next step in that progression, and, and what are farmers doing with the data that those products generate, and how are how is that data influencing their decision making? So, we we kind of focused on that, and we sampled. Um, commercial size corn and soybean operations, um, most throughout the Midwest. And what we find is among those larger scale operations, data collection is pretty typical. I mean, I think over 90% of that sample collected some form of farm data, um, either yield monitor data, soil sample data, or even imagery data. And that was the farmers collecting the data, not agribusinesses. That was the actual farmers. Well, so that's a good question. Um, That isn't necessarily just the farmer. Okay. We, we left it general enough that it could be a service provider that is helping them to perform that data collection. Okay. The, the next step in that survey was, okay, so you've collected this data. What decisions are being driven by the data? And we focused on um, seed, seeding rate decisions, uh, planting decisions, fertilizer or nutrient management decisions, and then drainage investment decisions. So that third one is kind of sticks out. Um, it's not one that often comes to mind when we think about farm data, but um, you know we had heard stories about farmers with that big sort of one-time investment really relying heavily on uh, imagery data to make those kinds of decisions. They want to see um, fr- from the air what does the farm field look like, and that's going to help guide them make those that investment and where to put drainage. So. Yeah, um, planting, fertilizer, drainage were the, were the three focus areas. Pretty clear from uh, the survey results that if you collect data, you're pretty likely to use that in some decision-making capacity. There's differences between those three though. So we found that nutrient management decisions were the most uh, data influenced. Farmers are saying that decision is, is, mostly, uh, is the most heavily influenced by the data that they collect. And that probably just reflects the fact that, you know, variable rate fertilizer has been around longer than the other two that we asked about. It's more established. 
the payoffs have been generally a little more clear than with variable rate planting. So it's just sort of the, you know, the incumbency of that practice of variable rate nutrient management that's, that's probably leading to that decision. Um, but it makes sense, right? If you're collecting soil sampling data, uh, either from a grid or zone, if you're using uh, yield monitor data to look at what's, you know, the spatial variation in your yields over time, it's very likely that you're going to use that as an input in the way that you manage your nutrients. Well, yeah, and, and it's a cost, right? Data isn't free. You know, there's platforms you got to uh, buy to either collect it or analyze it. So if you're spending the cost there, you want to be driving some value and actually making sure you're using it to enhance your farm profitability in some way. Exactly right. That's That's been one of the big takeaways from the literature on this is, you know, precision agriculture is a two-step process. You have to collect good, reliable data first, and then use it to make those actionable decisions about how to site-specific manage. So the cost on the collection side is very important. So do you think that this is a uh, sign of where the most value is being driven for the farmer, since we are seeing more adoption in the, in the nutrient management, that that's where farmers, at least right now, think that it's providing the most value to their farm? Or do you think that's just where it's the easiest to analyze? Yeah, so I, I think there's some nuance there, because variable rate is actually not all that commonly done. Um, if you look at USDA data, um, from their samples are nationally representative of, of commodity producers. You know, rate, variable rate is, is maybe 20% uh, of farms that are doing that practice. And of course, there are huge differences with size. Yeah. Large scale farms, it is much more common that you will see variable rate, nutrient management, planting, that kind of thing. Um, but if looking at that large scale, yeah, it's not as common as you might think. So you kind of have to put it in context. Farms that are collecting data that have sort of a, a data strategy, yeah, they're, they're likely to be using that data in those kinds of decisions. But there's a lot of farms that aren't doing any of this. And that's been the finding of some, uh, some other research that we've been doing in the Center for Commercial Agriculture with uh, USDA data looking at more of a nationally representative sample of corn farmers, we're seeing around a third of farms don't do any of this stuff. I mean, no yield monitor usage, no yield monitor data, no GPS guidance systems. Uh, And these are, of course, as you would expect, much smaller operations. Operators tend to be older. You know, these are, you know, small family farm operations. but they're, they're there. I mean, it's not an insignificant number of farms. Do you think that's because there's an economies of scale argument to some of this data technology that, um, that it doesn't pay until you are a certain size? Or do you think that's just more an indication of maybe the farmer's um, uh, opinions of, of the technology and, and value itself? Yeah, I, I think there's a chicken or the egg thing. You know, do... Uh, progressive operators adopt these technologies um, because of their nature as operators and they're also the ones that are likely to become large or is it really like you said the the scale economies are only apparent at that large size so the research is kind of trying to disentangle those things but it has some some really important implications I mean the scale economies thing is huge because Farms are consolidating. Farms are getting larger. The farm of the future is going to be bigger. Um, and uh, clearly, if you look at, like we have the data um, from USDA, 
the farm of the future is going to be, you know, pretty, uh, pretty precision ag heavy, pretty site specific management heavy, um, more likely to adopt these kinds of practices. And again, is that because of the nature of the operator being more innovative or is it because the scale economies make that work? I think it's a little bit of both. So I want to go back to a comment you, you made previously about uh, the data that sometimes it's not necessarily the farmer that has the data, sometimes it's other third parties that are collecting the data for the farmer and providing results back. How is the farmer actually analyzing? Are, are there certain platforms farmers are using? Are they using one? Are they using multiple? Um, what, what were your findings there? Yeah, so we asked farmers, um, do you use some sort of farm data software platform? And from our sample, which is again, this is a, a large commercial size sample that, that we're looking at, um, about f a little over 40% of that sample was using some kind of farm data software platform. And then from there, we asked specifically, uh, do you use products like Climate Field View, John Deere Operations Center, uh, Trimble Granular, some of the specific um, products that are out there on the market. And we found that um, you know, Field View is the most common among software users, about 50% are using Climate Field View. Uh, kind of expected that they've, they've been sort of dominant for a while. Uh, a lot are using John Deere Operations Center. Um, about 40-ish percent of users are, are using Op Center. That's a lot to do with the fact that Op Center is, um, you know, it comes with your John Deere equipment and it integrates with a lot of other platforms. So they're doing a good job of making them, availing themselves to the other sort of ag tech products that are out there. Yeah. And then there's a pretty long tail after that. Well, and it sounds like a lot of companies are going more for the data environment. They realize that their platform may not be able to collect all the data a farmer needs, mm -hmm. but uh, they're accommodating other uh, other companies' platforms to be able to integrate in, into that to help the farmer maximize their analytic capabilities. Absolutely. I think OpCenter's done a good job of that. Um, but yeah, everybody's trying to be the one-stop shop, and interoperability is a, a big issue. So if you can be the place that all of your tools come to kind of be layered together, um, you've got a real advantage. So what do the farmers prefer in all this, right? Like, do they want a one-stop shop or do they want uh, individual individuality in terms of the platforms and data analytics, right? Like they have a specific problem. Maybe it's a, uh, they're trying to optimize feed costs or planting dates or something like that. Um, is there a platform that can do it all or are farmers turning to multiple, because um, you know, seven or eight platforms in some cases is what they're using and they're, they're fine with it. So from our survey, um, we weren't able to, to get a sense of, you know, do you, do you like having multiple products? Uh, do you want just one that does everything? Um, but what we have seen is that farms that are using software are often using multiples. So the average is two or three from our sample. They're using two or three different products. Um, there's even a lot that, like you said, we're using seven or eight uh, at one time on the same operation. So clearly that tells you there isn't this, you know, one, you know, one product to do it all. There's things for different tasks that are specific to different things. And, um, you know, again, if, if you're an ag tech, ag tech company, you want to be the one that can integrate. And, and yeah. you want to be able to work with these because there's new startups all the time. We, we found that, um, you know, we, we listed a good list of popular products and about a quarter said, we're using something else 
So there's a long tail in this market. Yeah. It's a lot of new products coming out all the time. They're getting more and more specialized. Um, and so, yeah, cl clearly there's, uh, there's an emphasis on uh, specialization and I think farmers do want stuff that works together. Yeah, but it definitely seems like there's this uh, specialization that's happening, right? Where a farmer's going out and saying, this, this data product or this platform really gives me what my decision, gives me the essence of uh, the decision I'm making, and I'm going to stick with this. I mean, seven or eight platforms, I know just I think about the password <laughs> memorization for all, for all those yeah, different right. uh, platforms. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have two emails, and, and sometimes I can't remember the, the passwords for that. Exactly. So... Um, it's definitely surprising to me that, that there's some farmers out there using seven or eight and definitely speaks to the specialization. Yeah. Um, and that brings up a, another important topic, uh, you know, since I mentioned password, and that's the, the topic of data privacy. And we've heard a lot about this. Um, you know, privacy, farmer, you know, no farmer wants their data to become common knowledge, at least without them knowing it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's a lot of hot button issues around this this particular topic. Um, there's been some in the media here lately as well. Did, was there anything that you guys found in your survey or, or that you've done in your research on how this affects some of the stuff we've been talking about, this privacy issue? Very interesting. Um, we asked those farms that don't collect any data why, what, what is the friction point? Why are you not collecting farm data? And we gave them some options and the least common answer was privacy concerns. The most important was uh, value proposition issues, you know, profitability, cost, that kind of thing. And then usability. And then privacy was the, the least likely to be the main deterrent for collecting farm data. So at least from the data, it doesn't appear that the, the majority of farmers care that much, at least in a ranking perspective. Well, and we didn't, that's, that's one thing we, we could have done was rank. We didn't, we didn't rank. We just asked them, what's the primary reason for not doing this? Okay. So it's, it's very likely that privacy concerns are still important. But when asked to say, what's the main reason you're not doing this? It was value proposition. That was also true of, of why aren't you collect or using a farm data software product? Again, privacy concerns were the least likely to be the, the thing that keeps farmers from adopting that technology. Um, and it, it was it was the same. It was value proposition issues and, and usability. So, you know, we know that privacy concerns are out there. We know that yep. it's important. But our survey was suggesting, at least when it comes to the adoption decision, you know, it, it's dollars and cents here. Yeah, farmers yeah. want to maximize profit, and it makes sense. Yeah, and and that being said, um, the the state of privacy issue is huge. I mean, I think. Um, far, the American Farm Bureau did a survey a few years ago around this, and they found that even among farms that are using some sort of data service, a little over half of them, they, they didn't know whether they themselves owned or controlled the data that, that they were providing to that service. And, uh, and of course, these, these data agreements can be you know, long, legalese, you don't really know what you're giving up. So um, thankfully, there's groups like Ag Data Transparent that's um, working with ag tech companies to provide some good guidelines and and make sure that the farmers are in the driver's seat when it comes to their data. Yeah, and there's definitely uh, just anecdotally, I, I was talking with a farmer earlier this uh, spring, and they were using a small local provider of data analytics 
um, here in Indiana. And one of their reasonings for using that is, is they just point blank said they don't want their data leaving the county that they're in um, because of some of these privacy issues. Um, I, I do think that this particular provider was driving a lot of value, the same amount of value that some of these larger applications were doing. So for that farmer, it made sense. But if you don't have that that local provider, um, you know, data data analytics provider, you may be forced to go with one of the larger national companies um, and and one of their services, and then your data is leaving the county lines. Mm-hmm. So maybe still not a whole lot of options there. So that's a you brought up a good point about this aggregate aggregation of data. Um, farmers don't, they're not comfortable with that if there's a risk that their personally identifiable information would get compromised. And yet, you know, we're both economists, we understand this positive network externalities thing. Like farm data is more valuable when it's aggregated and you can compare the performance of a seed you're interested in buying on soil types that are similar to yours. Yeah. This is the model of farmer's business network. They're aggregating um, crowdsourcing even, you could say, farmer data to help farmers make better decisions because of that data being aggregated. So it's not that um, data aggregation by itself is, is a threat to farmers. It's just the nature of that data aggregation. What is the, what is the producer getting out of it? What are the incentives? Is, is, this, uh, is this really going to benefit them? And uh, I think with you know, a model like FBN, you can demonstrate that, yeah, it can be. Yeah, and, and it's something that we all face in life, and it's something that the farmers are going to have to work through. I, I joke with friends that I've you know uh, sold my life over to Google now that I have a smart home um, and bought some of the Google products to help with that. But but it is true. there I have given up some data privacy, and I'm sure Google um, has data on me that I you know uh, probably uh have signed some waiver at some point when I signed up for for the program or bought the product but uh that's something that I've had to be okay with in in using the the products that they provide yeah yeah there's a, there's value occurring to you yeah and it's the same with ag tech companies they they have to have a value proposition that works for the farmer turning the conversation you know there's a lot to package in in all this data um, and platform discussion, right? But let's turn our discussion a little bit to to the future. Um, You know, where do you see some of this precision ag data conversation heading over the next five or so years that, you know, maybe what should the farmers be on the lookout for? Well, there's there's new products all the time on the market. Um, There's there's almost an insistence that you take part in one of these um, ag tech service providers and um, I know, like, you know, you know, Terry Griffin at Kansas State has talked about this a lot. You know, wait, make sure this works for you. You know, see what the market looks like in terms of these, these companies. Because um, right now, the farmers kind of, they have the cards. Yeah. The, these, these companies need that data. And um, farmers are in a position now where it's a good idea to wait and see. And, uh, you know, going forward... We talked about some of the policy issues around privacy. I think that as uh, the cost of collecting farm data comes down with new tech technologies, with um, with better technologies, you're going to see um, it'll be easier to make better data-informed decisions because the reliability of the data will be better and the cost will be lower. So I see that trend just continuing. One of one of the questions I have for the future is that you know, 
right now there's a lot of farmers that are doing their own data analytics with these platforms and stuff. Um, but will the farmer, uh, capabilities is not the right word, but will the farmer want to spend time? I mean, we're going to be in a world that has a lot of data to wade through for the farmer, right? We're going to be collecting yield data, soil data, um, drone data, satellite data. That's a lot to sit and analyze. Yeah. Um, what is what do you think will happen? Will do you think farmers are going to be likely to hire a third-party consultant, or or maybe some of these apps and, and major platforms like Climate View mm-hmm. um, or Agri Edge, if if they provide some of those services, is the farmer going to be liable to outsource some of these analytics? Um, what do you think is going to happen there? Because I've heard some stuff on the trust of, you know, the farmer says, "I know my farm the best. I'll take the recommendations." And then I'll tweak them to me. Mm-hmm. And then I know some farmers say, okay, I just, they, they write the prescriptions for my field and I just plug them in and I go. Yeah. Um, what's going to happen in that world in terms of the, the outside consulting or, or the farmer being able to actually wade through all this data? Yeah, very good, very good point there about um, data sharing and, and, you know, being able to leverage some outside perspective to make the data more useful. Um, to bring it back to that survey we did, we asked about data sharing. We asked, who are you sharing your data with? And um, as you might expect, the most common are, are folks that work close to the farm. So agronomists, ag input suppliers, pretty farmers are pretty comfortable sharing their data with them. What we did see was a divergence between how closely they follow the recommendations provided by a service provider relative to how closely they would follow their software's provided recommendation. So we saw that about 30% of farmers will say, yeah, I'm following my service provider's recommendation very closely. That percentage for software users was 44%. So farmers are more comfortable with the recommendations that their you know, software provides them, that sort of impersonal software product, than the person working with them face-to-face. And we thought this was a really interesting you know, uh, difference yeah, that- there. Just to be completely honest, if you would have asked me to predict that, I would have said the opposite. As would, yes, as would I. Um, and we think that maybe that has to do with something with the, you know, maybe the, the in-person recommendation comes with a sales pitch or, or a, uh, you know, a buy this product to do this recommendation. So some sort of like bias that the farmer thinks is happening because it's a personal transaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas they might perceive that recommendation that their software kicks out as totally agnostic. And, you know, there might be some truth to that or not, but clearly the, the perception is there. Yeah, and, and I think that's a super interesting finding because to me there's a lot that the computer can't take into account, right? Um, Yes, you can plug in a field map, you can plug in yield maps or, or satellite imagery and the computer can analyze it. But there's a lot of nuances about, uh, well, you know, the, the soil in this part is uh, a certain way because of these factors, right? That, that the computer doesn't know because we haven't gotten to that level of, of description in, in the data yet. And maybe we're getting there. But to me, it, it does seem that's a super interesting finding that the farmers are trusting a, a computer over a, a person's recommendation. Mm-hmm. But are the farmers are are the farmers just taking these recommendations um, as given and, and or are they tweaking them some? 
Even with the computer? No, even with the software, there's a, there's a number that will say, we're only sort of following that recommendation. We're, we're somewhat following the recommendation, and then there's some uh, adjustment that they make personally. Um, but you asked about the future and how this looks down the line with um, in-person versus digital and, and how that works together. My, I, I suspect, and it's already happening, is you know, farmers and their agronomists are working together with their software. And they're sharing that software, and agronomists are becoming, you know, much more specialized in these in these data platforms, and they're able to sort of integrate the, the the three, you know, the farmer, their service provider, and the software is kind of coming together to make a a, a, strat, a digital strategy. Another another topic for the future that um, I kind of want to bring up is what about? So you mentioned the data sharing. Um, not just on the privacy side, but one thing I've heard in industry is is access to farmer data down the supply chain. Um, you know, this is data on the product that the farmer produces, input practices, um, not necessarily the, the the soil maps and the yield maps, but data that can then be used to uh, to carry with the product in a blockchain type of framework that then gets translated to the consumer. What have you collected any data or have any thoughts on that of where that's going into the future? Because I, I think from someone who, you know, I spend a lot of my time uh, post farm gate uh, thinking about the agribusiness supply chain and what happens to the product after it leaves the farm. Um, that's a really hot topic in the agribusiness supply chain right now, right? Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that would like to be able to have that data so then they could increase the value proposition for the products that then I buy at, at the grocery store. But I don't know, well, A, we're not in an environment right now that we can provide some of that information in a commodity space like corn and soybeans. It's happening in the fruit and vegetable um, and some of the more specialized markets, but there's people working on it even in the commodity space. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting trend because it has the potential to sort of decommoditize commodities. It's like you've got a bushel of corn. And it's no different than this other bushel of corn. But if you have data, a, a, a ledger that you know documents how that bushel was raised and the sustainability practices that went into raising that bushel, then it becomes different and unique. And as long as that sort of uh, value follows the, the product down the supply chain to where the consumer is willing to pay more at the store shelf, and that can be you know, moved back up the, the supply chain to the producer, this can work, but until the farmer gets a, a clear um, price signal that they can, you know, get a, a markup for that, that sharing that data, the incentive just isn't going to be there. Yeah, and and it's already happening in some areas of agriculture, right? Um, Cargill with their poultry production, right? Uh, you can scan your turkey at the grocery store and get uh, and find out which farm it came from. Uh, which I, I think is fascinating and, and definitely, is, yeah. and they're charging a premium for that. You know, that, yeah. that is targeted at consumers that want to know where their food comes from. And, and they've seen farms sign up for that because they, they do, you talk about the value back to the farm, they're able to provide that. Um, but that's a pretty easy blockchain environment where you can trace you got that. that uh, you know, um, it vertically integrated market, um, it, it works for them. When, when you start to break it up a little more, the logistical challenges really compound. Yeah, and, and there's a sub-segment of consumers out there that want to know before they cook their Thanksgiving turkey, 
uh, what you know what the conditions it, it lived in, and they're willing to pay more for it. And then totally. you know, also you were at our national conference for food and agribusiness um, that Purdue's other uh, you know the the sister center, the Center for Food and Agribusiness, puts on in November. And we had the dairy farmer that was wanting to put cameras up. Uh, same concept, right? You scan the milk at the store and you get a, a live feed or a story of, of that particular dairy farm. So farmers know that the milk they're purchasing was humanely raised or whatever characteristics they're looking for, um, that milk embodies that. And, yep. and that would come with a price cream, right? So there's an incentive for the farmer to do that. Yep. We haven't reached that in the commodity space yet but people are working on it. Yeah, it's certainly the interest is there. And you know, our boss, Jason Lusk here, talks about this, that um, the way we as consumers buy things is as, as an expression of us. It's like, you know, the clothes we wear. If we buy sustainably raised um, uh, pork or chicken or, or dairy products, um, it's a way for us to express who we are as consumers. And uh, yeah, if it, as long as the price premium can travel back up to the producer, um, it'll make sense. Yeah, and there I do want to make the distinction. So there's really the data we're talking about now is data on the product and stuff. Um, you know, for most of this discussion we've had right now, we've we really talked about the field mapping and the stuff that allows farmers to make profitability decisions. Yes. But this is more of a um, in the same environment because it's the data that's being generated on the farm. But this is going to help produce a price premium um, you know when you go to market or it's going to be the pay to play uh, sort of table stakes is yeah. what we like to say if you want to sell to General Mills or somebody you have to share this data that demonstrates how your product was raised well and we're already to table stakes in some part uh, of the world if you think about Ohio you know they don't have the H2 Ohio program so the farmers have to monitor, you know, the water quality and runoff from their farms. Right. And if you don't meet a certain level, uh, you can't operate. So there are table stakes there with, you know, the, the data that's being regulated for the farmer that they have to collect. And if you don't have that, then, um, then you can't operate. So yeah. it's already happening, but that's being regulated. I think some of the stuff we're talking about now is more companies saying, mm -hmm. if you want to sell to us, we need to, this data on your product. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what, what are your recommendations? Do you have any specific recommendations for if you're a farmer out there and, and maybe you've dabbled in some of the soil mapping or, or the yield mapping uh, uh, data, what, what are the key decisions you think the farmers of today will be making here over the next five years in, in, the, data, uh, in the data environment, right? Is there anything that you think are going to make or break farms? Or do you think it's going to be a much of like what we see where, where some, some adoption is going to be um, or some technologies are going to be adopted and be fairly common practice here in the next five, 10 years? And, or do you think there's going to be technology that picks winners and losers? It's a good question. It's it's hard to it's hard to sort of forecast out and, and to see what this market is going to look like five or ten years from now because it's changing so rapidly. Um, there's new products all the time. Um, far farmers are being bombarded with these these different products, and um, so what we've found from through our our various research projects is the more that farmers can integrate data sources and precision technologies to create some sort of overall digital strategy, the more uh, those farmers are likely to be satisfied with uh, the investments. So it's it's easy to say, if I adopt this one new 
technology, I can boost my bushels produced per acre by so much. Really what we're seeing is these adoption patterns are sequential. You need the soil sampling before you can make good variable rate decisions. You need good yield monitor data before you can make you know, um, appropriate planting decisions. So I would say get, a, a, get some good reliable data. Uh, if you've got a yield monitor, make sure it's calibrated, produce some, soil, uh, produce some yield maps, and see what the farm looks like within, you know, what the variability is with yields across the farm. Because precision technology um, works because you have the variability. If you have a field that's uniform, uniform management is gonna make sense. If you have a lot of within field variability, that's when this stuff works. So get a good visualization of that variability. Well, we thank you, Nate, for being on today's uh, podcast. I just want to remind everyone listening for more economic information to visit us at the Purdue Center for Commercial Agricultural's website at ag.purdue.edu slash commercial ag. Once again, that's ag.purdue.edu slash commercial ag. On behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and Dr. Nate DeLay, I'm Brady Brewer, and we thank you for listening.